Real Estate Sessions is brought to you by First. First knows that a real estate professional's most valuable asset is their relationships. A strong personal network is the moat that can guard against any industry disruption. But there is never enough time to nurture your network the way you want to. First powers top agents with artificial intelligence to spotlight the people who are most likely to sell. This brings focus and attention to make important connections when it matters most. Learn more and request a free demo at first.io. We focus a great deal of our our energy on helping our agents learn how to leverage that technology, but in a relationship-based way. So, for example, we just brought a new CRM system online, and that client relationship management system, we teach them that it's not just putting the client's name and contact information and, you know, they want a four-bedroom, three-bath. It's, this is Mr. and Mrs. Jones, and they are very excited about life. They want to be in an up-and-coming part of the city. They're very interested in having a big yard. They have three dogs, Fluffy, Spot, and, and Yodo, and so that that technology becomes human. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, where industry leaders share their stories and offer tips and advice for real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Fidelity National Title in Tampa, Florida. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 148 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. And as always, thank you so much for heading over to iTunes and leaving a review or a rating. It's, it's how we continue to grow. I uh, really appreciate that. And, and I'm excited to go back to Arizona, where I spent my first 17 years in the business. And Leslie Guiley, a good friend of mine who I've known for years, uh, she's with Bloomtree Realty. And she told me I needed to interview Dr. Anne-Marie Ward, who's the Director of Education and the Social Insight Coach for Bloomtree Realty. Now, Anne-Marie has a very interesting background. I can't wait. As you know, on this podcast, it's all about where did somebody come from and how did they get to real estate? So we're going to start with that. And, and with that, Anne-Marie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Bill. I'm excited to be here. Good, good. Now, I know that when it, when Leslie reached out to me and said, hey, you got to talk to, to Anne-Marie, I'm like, oh, that's great. I'll, I'll go ahead and send her a note. And you didn't get back right away. And there was a reason for that. So let's start off with that. When I tried to schedule you, where exactly were you and what were you doing? That, that's an interesting question, Bill. So when you did reach out to me, I was in the middle of the bush out in Botswana. So my husband is a planetary science field researcher. And my background is in consulting with different businesses, both nationally and internationally, in interpersonal relations. And so when I first met my husband, one of the things I was doing was researching and working with his team to look at international relations in the business setting with a small company. And so it was a professional start. And then soon, because of my academic leanings, I joined his team as a planetary science field researcher myself. So that long phrase simply means we go all around the world and recover meteorites. And so he's done this for 20 years, a little over actually. And this trip was a meteorite that was seen coming in. It was actually identified in Arizona and it landed in Botswana. So we ended up leaving usually 24, 48 hours notice and we headed out of the country. We stopped in London for a bit, went through Johannesburg in South Africa and up to Botswana. And we did a self-drive 
trip where we went out into a preserve that that was where they had projected that the meteorite had fallen. So I don't always go on these trips, but I do quite a bit if he needs somebody else in the field because both of us are experienced overlanders. So it was quite the experience, a lot of lions, a lot of game. We did not actually recover what we thought we would, but we had some exciting experiences. So on our way back, we went through Qatar and then Germany and met with another team of ours. And it was just a great experience. It's fun sometimes to disconnect from the real estate side and look at the science side. So a little bit of globe trotting there, quite a few animals. So very, very fun. Yeah, I'll tell you what, you know, for anyone that wants to reach out to you, maybe on Facebook, there's some, there's some really well-documented photos, and it would look like a heck of a trip. So, well, welcome back stateside So as we, as we record Thank this episode. You. Yeah. So where, where um, I know you're, you're based in Prescott now, is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Where did, did you grow up in Arizona, or where did you grow up? I did. I was actually born and raised in Prescott, which is very rare. Most of the folks here come from California or somewhere back east. So I was born and raised in the area and I moved away um, to Tennessee when I was graduating from high school, got my bachelor's degree there, moved around to a couple different states for different internships, wound up back here where I got my master's degree. And then I ended up traveling back and forth between North Carolina where I got my PhD. And so, although I haven't spent my entire life in Arizona or in Prescott specifically, it is definitely the place that I call home. Prescott's a very, very unique city. They call it everybody's hometown because it has that small town Mayberry feel, but it's still big enough that there's everything there. Four seasons that are very mild. It's absolutely beautiful. So it's it's the ideal place to be, plus home of the world's oldest rodeo. So if you're into the rodeo or cowboys, that's the place for you. <laughs> yeah, Whiskey Row, that 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 beautiful town square, uh, I, it really mm-hmm. is an amazing place. I lived in Gilbert for 17 years, and so many a trip made to Prescott in the summertime to escape the heat, and in the wintertime to mm-hmm. play in some snow. Right? Yeah. So it's it is a, about about a mile high and just a beautiful place. It is. People don't expect there to be snow in Arizona or pine trees and Prescott offers that. And it's a neat area because within eight minutes moving from town to town, you can go from prairie land into the mountains with the pine trees. There is the snow. There's the moderate heat in the summer. Like you said, we have Whiskey Row, uh, Doc Holliday, Wyatt Earp. They all spend some time down at the palace on Whiskey Row. So it's a fun town. There's a lot of history here. Let's talk about you. You're, let's say you're in high school up in Prescott. Is, is, are you even thinking about real estate at that point in your life? You know what? No, not at all. When I was yeah. in high school, I actually went to high school in the town next door in Prescott Valley, and I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a constitutional lawyer, and my goal was to someday appear in front of the Supreme Court. But once I got into school and I interned for a lawyer, I decided that wasn't for me. I couldn't stand losing a case that I knew I should have won. Uh, and so I headed a different direction and I got into education. Yeah, no real estate. And that's very common in this world. I think four out of 148 guests <laughs> knew they were going to be a realtor. Right. So, <laughs> right. So, all right. So you head out, you, you're in Tennessee, you get your undergrad degree there. And so mm-hmm. you're fu- fully anticipating going into, into education in some way, shape or form at that point. Not exactly. I had ended up moving back to Arizona. My dad had had a a bad motorcycle wreck. And so I came back to kind of look in on the family. And while I was here, I had applied to a couple of graduate schools. And 
one of the programs I had looked at, one I was accepted to was in London and then two in Arizona. And the program here in Prescott that I actually selected, I found that I enjoyed teaching middle school. I had started substitute teaching just as a job and discovered that I really liked middle school, which I know probably makes half of your your listeners just shudder. (laughs) But I chose to continue and I actually taught math at the middle school and I coached track and field and I really enjoyed it. And during that time when I was teaching, you're able to teach in Arizona um, kind of on an interim basis with a bachelor's degree while you work on your master's in education. My bachelor's was in political science. So I had that transition time. And so while I was going through my master's program, I was working at a ladies boutique in town, just paying for school at the same time. And I met a real estate agent who was representing the owner of my boutique selling her home. And I got to know him and he said, you know, I'm a broker. I own my own company. Why are you making $20 of commission selling a designer pair of jeans when you could come and sell a house and make $10,000? Well, (laughs) naturally, when you're in college and you're trying to pay for this degree, you think, well, that sounds a lot better (laughs) going from $20 to, you know, these proposed big numbers. And we all know as agents, sometimes it always sounds easier than what it is. Right. And so that was actually my introduction of what is real estate? Would I be interested in this? Is this something I would like? So what I did is he offered me a position managing his office and generating leads so that I could learn about real estate. And he sent me to real estate school. And so I worked with this very small team. It was a boutique brokerage and they were trained to the utmost level by the broker himself. Every single agent was trained in the area and about the business and with the financial side, all of the pieces to really provide that luxury level of service. And so that was my segue into real estate. And it was during that school time. So I ended up quitting teaching of all things, because as we know, in Arizona, if you teach, you might as well live in poverty, which is a sad thing. Right. So I transitioned over to real estate. So that was kind of the segue into that. And so now you're, you're in the, you're in the business. You, you, at this time, while you're doing that, you also decide after you get your master's to go and get your PhD, correct? Yeah. So now you have, so you have your master's in education, a doctorate in leadership. How, tell me how all this comes together and where you end up coming to find Bloom Tree Realty? So it's kind of an interesting story, Bill. My husband, outside of what he does as a planetary science field researcher, his family were big land developers with multiple subdivisions in a county right next to ours. And so when we got married, the business started picking up again. And he said, you know, since you have your license, it might be great to go back, kind of really get back into real estate because I had taken a little bit of time away from it to finish my doctorate and see what's going on in the industry. So I had, right before I had stepped out of real estate for a while, I had transitioned to Bloomtree when Bloomtree had just started four years ago. And they were changing over from another brokerage and the, the leader here, our CEO, Nick Malouf, had come up with this concept of a company that was just outside of the box for normal real estate companies. And so he started Bloom to Realty. And so as I came on with this group, it was more of getting my feet wet back in the industry. But at the same time, I had this doctorate in business leadership and I was hoping I have my own consulting company. Also, I thought, you know, I'd really like to consult with 
you know, more businesses. And specifically, it'd be great to do that in real estate because I've done it with a lot of different groups outside of real estate. So I started talking to one of our recruiters and one of the founders, Paul Ozlanian, and he said, you know what, what have you been doing? Small town, everyone knows each other. And I said, well, I just finished this doctorate. I actually did my dissertation in emotional intelligence. And he said, you're kidding. We, we train all kinds of different sales tactics here that are away from the old sales tactics. And it gets it back to being human and having these personal relationships. And we are trying to bring on more training that has to do with emotional intelligence and personal development. And I said, well, I would love to be a part of that. And he said, let me get you a meeting with Nick Maloof. And so Nick and I sit down, we talked for quite a while. And he said, I really would like to see you spearhead a section of our education department that is all about social intelligences. And so we came up with the opportunity to really build and grow a program that almost revisits Dale Carnegie's concepts of those relationships with people. Because as we know in real estate, agents aren't normally highly respected in the profession. And so at Bloomtree, it was, how do you develop yourself in order to grow your business the right way? It's a small town. It's vital that our agents have positive, real, genuine relationships with their clients because they reflect us as a company. And that goes back to our values here. So it was an interesting, I actually am not practicing full-time. I am a referring agent and I focus all my time on building our education department. So I've created a seven series program where we really touch on not only how to do real estate, but how to increase your knowledge within specific areas of real estate and then how to grow yourself with not only self-awareness, but self-development. So we go through everything from negotiations to emotional intelligence. One of the things I brought on when I came here was StrengthsFinder from Gallup. And we are now a strengths-based company. And we've seen a great deal of growth just from these development programs. I taught one this morning on negotiations. And we have a huge response from agents every time saying, this is the missing piece. This is what keeps us in the game. So it's a neat transition. I'm sorry, that's a little long, but it's a neat transition of, of how I got here into this position. I love that. Look, I've, I've asked thousands of agents around the country this one question that's unanimous in its response, and that is, are relationships critical to your success? And every single agent raises their hand every single time. Yet, and I think you'll agree with this, there are a lot of agents doing things that have no relationship building capability whatsoever. In fact, are detrimental to building a relationship, right? Because maybe it's a piece of technology that somebody's selling or claims that it works. And, and I, you know, so I, I love hearing what you're doing there. I, I think that's a brilliant idea. And somewhere in there, though, I guess there's got to be an intersection of all the technology that's coming around, plus the, we'll call it old school, if you can call it that, the things you're talking about. How does that, how do you play all those together? You know, we do look at the entire comprehensive view. And one of the things, like you mentioned, that's big on the horizon is technology. And we focus a great deal of our, our energy on helping our agents learn how to leverage that technology, but in a relationship-based way. So, for example, we just brought a new CRM system online, and that client relationship management system, we teach them that it's not just putting the client's name and contact information and you know, they want a four bedroom, three bath. This is Mr. and Mrs. Jones. And they are very excited about life. They want to be in an up and coming part of the city. 
they're very interested in having a big yard. They have three dogs, Fluffy, Spot, and, and Yodo. And, you know, so that that technology becomes human. And so they use that as a way of really making those relationships through the technology. And what we did is we selected a top technology platform that encompassed everything from their website to their lead generation to their contracts and transaction management. So everything connects for them in one simple platform. We know that our agents are extremely busy and what we needed was something simple that functioned at a high tech level. And we found a great combination, but of course, in our area, our demographic is much older, which means we have to be very careful about finding a nice balance between using technology as an advantage, but not using it in such a way that it pushes people away or that they don't understand or it's not user-friendly. And I think we do a great job of that here. I'm going to say like the most important piece of technology, I think still today is still the telephone. <laughs> the, Absolutely. The ability to call somebody and talk to them has such power, uh, especially when so many rely on other, you know, other, other modes. And I, I, I'd like your take on this. I, I have this conversation with realtors all the time that they send a hundred emails and they feel like they've accomplished something. And and I'm like, yeah, the, the the numbers will tell you that about 17 people will see that email. So do you feel like you really reached your 100 people as opposed to, you know, maybe directly calling 10? You have like a 100% success rate if I call 10 people and have a conversation. And I know exactly what my accomplishment is rather than just sending out an email to a, a relatively small number of people. I get it if it's 10,000, but does do you kind of agree with that assessment? You know, I absolutely agree with you, Bill. And we talk about two different things here. One is the relationships that we're sustaining before they come back into the pipeline. And then the relationships that we have that are currently in the pipeline. And one of the things we encouraged, one of the things that I coached on this morning was you need to pick up the phone all the time before you even send an email. An email should be a secondary form of response. And that to them is very pivotal because they make that relationship because there's that voice, there's that care. An email, unfortunately, although it's fast and it's convenient, it's impersonal. And like you said, it doesn't create that connection. So we strongly encourage our agents to pick up the phone. We strongly encourage them to sponsor local events where they can go and be a part of it, of that community, of the schools, of a charity. So they're making the relationships in a different way. Versus just standard, you know, let's drop an email and see how many people respond. And they do come back and usually 10 out of 10 times say, wow, I got a ton more clients just by making these personal relationships, the phone calls, the interaction in public, the sponsorship, rather than just dropping emails. It does take more time, but you do have a much better response. So we do encourage that. And then, of course, we also encourage not only sending your offer over when it comes time to put that contract in, but calling that agent and making sure you have a relationship with them also on the other side of the transaction, because then it becomes more personal and it isn't as popular. I mean, I I hear of agents saying, well, I got a text from another agent that they sent an offer. (laughs) That's great, but it doesn't, it doesn't do your client as much good as it should. So Bill, you're right. The personal touch is much more effective. Yeah, and that then that consumer centric uh, approach, right? That you're talking about, it's it, it's yeah. all about the consumer, and if that that means you have to be a little bit more uncomfortable or it takes a little extra time to accomplish what you're trying to to do, you got to do it, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's, I, I'd love to ask you this question because I, in my role with Fidelity, I, my job is to help realtors be smarter with technology. And uh, you have a little more uh, uh, training in the world. You have a lot more training than I do in the world of teaching and training adults. And, and talk about that a little bit because it, you, you taught at the middle school level where homo, hormones are raging. And I can't even imagine how that how, how life works there <laughs> versus talk, teaching and training and educating adults. I mean, talk about that world for you, maybe some of your biggest challenges. You know, it is a different ball game when you're teaching adults. So from the, the technology point of view, you're really asking them to change how they've been doing business. So if you do have an older demographic, you're saying, hey, you're going to need to start using some of these systems or we're going to create these websites, or we're going to use social media as a marketing platform. And these things may be very foreign, even if you do have younger agents as well. Some of these things, although we may have used them in interaction or as a personal platform like Facebook or some of these other advertising platforms, but it doesn't mean we actually have that expertise to leverage that technology to build our business. And so one of the things that we have done is created programs that are two things. One is we realize that a lot of people need very hands-on how-to, step-by-step, I like to call it technology for dummies, of what to do. And I myself am, am probably in that category half of the time, where make sure it's turned on, you know, those basic things. But it goes into upper training, where we go to the next step and say, it doesn't matter where you are, if you're ready at this moderate, medium level, we'll go ahead and start working on it there. I think the biggest thing with teaching adults is helping them personally identify where they are on that spectrum. How much do you know? And how much do you feel like you need to know? How much is this going to affect your business? And that, you know, that sets the foundation for this is a vital thing to do. It's a time-worthy endeavor. And it's worth hanging on to as you move forward. It can be difficult. We have a lot of agents that end up saying, look, I'm frustrated. But these trainings that we offer really help. And then we also provide one-on-one support where we sit down and we work through different pieces, whatever it may be, whether it's the website or the apps that they're using or a social media platform. And this way, for an adult, you can really reach them a lot better. It's, it's a tough thing to learn, especially if it's not something that you're comfortable with, but that support is vital. And with an adult, we have to remember that it's, it's difficult because we think, well, we know everything, you know, we can do this, we're business people, whatever it may be. It's important to come with the mindset of, it's not bad that I don't know. It's not that I'm dumb. It's not that I can't learn. This is just where I am. And I can grow and I can use this and it's going to help me. And it's going to help my clients, which is the most important thing of what are you doing to help your clients? Right. So, but it is, it's different, better than middle schoolers. I will tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done that. I'll, I'll just take your word for it. And, and I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. It seems to me that I love the idea of trying to have them kind of like self-identify where they are. Right. Uh, but mm-hmm. then you mentioned the one-on-one training. I think that's, that's got to be a critical part because a lot of, a lot of real estate educators listen to the podcast and when you're in a room full of 20 people and you've got five at one level and five at another and five at another and five at another, how do you handle that? Well, one of the things that we have piloted is having it so that they can log on in a go to meeting where we share the screen and that way they can actually see where we're going. We did try where it was on the screen and they tried to do it in theirs. And that was very difficult. So most of the time about 
60 to 70 percent of the class is on the same page. Then you have maybe 20 that's way ahead where they're coming to just learn a few intricacies. And then you have the, the other end where they are just totally overwhelmed by the whole concept. And in the classroom, you can tell they get frustrated. They ask a lot of questions. And what we do is we, we provide them the opportunity to stay after class. And most of our instructors always block some time afterwards and say, okay, Steve, I see that you're really struggling with these pieces and those are great questions. I think I need to help you with that one-on-one so we can get you set up. Go ahead and take some notes as I'm talking today. And then after class, if you can stay for me or if we need to set another appointment time, let's do that. And I'll help you get through those. And that takes that frustration level down for them where they sit in the class and they're not saying I'm overwhelmed and check out. They're saying, okay, let me see what I can pick up that I can grasp, take the notes of the things I can't, and then I have this opportunity afterwards. So we try to diversify our learning in such a way that we reach every single one of our agents in the best way that we can. I know that it's a tough thing to do, but providing those different levels, especially in that class setting, is very important. The other thing that we do in the classroom is we try to sit somebody who may be struggling and identify them and put them next to somebody who's really an expert. And what that helps in any level of education, but especially adult learning, is that expert can lean over and say, oh, it's right here. Grab that. So it's almost like a secondary instructor for them that's sitting next to them. That's that partner. And one of our um, guiding principles here is collaboration. So it's very, very important. It's something that they they really embody here to sit there and try to help their peers get there. So that's the way that we're really able to balance the, the skill level within our classroom. Let me ask you a, a couple of questions about the uh, the market there in, in Phoenix. I was, you know, with Chicago Title there for 17 years. Let's let's talk about the difference between Prescott and the Valley. The Valley meaning, you know, the, the entire Phoenix metro area. Mm-hmm. Is it a different is it a different world that you have to work in when you're working through those two different uh, unique geographies? It is. So we actually have five offices now. We have the one in Prescott. We have one in Prescott Valley, one over in Sedona, one in the Verde Valley in Cottonwood, and then one actually in Glendale. That's our our valley office there. One of the most difficult things for them is they're fighting in a much bigger market without having a monopoly. Here in Prescott, we definitely have a monopoly on the market. Nine times out of 10, when you see a sign, it's probably a bloom tree agent. We have about 170 agents just here in the Prescott area. And so you already have this name recognition. You have a good reputation here where people know what to expect from a bloom tree agent. So you already have quite a few things in your back pocket when you're operating in this area. When you go down to the Valley, as you know, that metropolitan, bloom tree is a smaller company there. And so they have a, a little bit more of a competitive market to get into. However, what we see is our level of customer service, because that's so high, because there's those personal relationships, and we do bring our training everywhere to each location, they are still competing at an extremely high level in that marketplace. Let's talk about competition in Phoenix. I, I know that uh, <laughs> having, having been there um, for, for so long, it is the test market for just about every new thing that rolls around in the world of, of, of not just real estate, but everything. But let's talk about the iBuyers, you know, Open Door, OfferPad, Zillow Instant Offers, who now they're actually doing the buying and selling themselves, all roll into the Phoenix area, Vegas, maybe, you know, and out here it's Orlando. How, um, how concerned are you about what they're doing, you know, in the industry, especially when it, t- you know, in relation to Bloomtree? 
Well, one of the things that we do stay abreast of is any of the challenges that can be coming down the pipeline for us in order to stay in front of those. And the iBuyers is something that has been on our radar for quite a while. We look at you know, the development of AI as that comes through and being able to predict what buyers and sellers are interested in just by their viewing habits on a computer. So that is something that we keep on our radar. However, I recently, actually, I think it was June 5th or 6th, Forbes just came out with an article about how how the iBuyer concept was permeating the market. And surprisingly, it's having very, very little impact, which surprised me. I thought there would probably be more interest in this because it's quick, it seems easy, it's user-friendly. Unfortunately, it's extremely costly. So what they discovered is that an iBuy, the cost to the seller is about 10%, as opposed to the traditional 5 to 6% of what a traditional agent would put onto the contract. So is time really worth an extra 4 or 5%? Well, most sellers are going to say not at all. Now I can see if you have a real lemon or you, you're really out of time, you're relocating, but to see that only, you know, that big price increase, you would think that technology would actually make the price less as far as how much commission's being taken out. Then you also have to think about it from the experience. So as you sit in a consumer's shoes, you have to look at the pros and the cons. So if your pro is time, the cons are the fear. You don't know what's going on. You don't have that expert agent by your side. You don't have that advocate. You don't know. You don't have somebody sitting there explaining to you why their comparative market analysis came back that way. You don't know what's going on. There's that fear there. So what was really interesting is Zillow put out their statistics that 90% of the sellers who looked at the iBuy went with a traditional agent. So, I mean, that's overwhelming to right. see that 90% of the people who are actually looking into the iBuy chose a traditional agent. And really, from my background, as far as the, the academic side, we will always see that where people feel comfortable with people they trust. You know, when you take that, that human if out of the equation, there's a lot more fear. It's like trying to do your own plumbing when you've never touched plumbing before. And when you look at such a big money item that has such an emotional experience attached to it, you want that expert by your side. It'd be like trying to play the stock market with no experience. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't feel good. And we know that humans operate on feeling safe, feeling good, feeling like it's the right decision. And so the statistics show exactly that. Although this is out there, it's being marketed heavily, it's permeating the audience, it's not actually being picked up. So when you have a 90% rejection rate, <laughs> that, that looks pretty bad. Even if real estate agents are not regarded that high in public opinion, that says a lot when they're trusted way more than that I buy experience. So it may change over time. As we see things like I buy come onto the market, they may see, well, we're missing these elements, that it's not really trusted by the public. So they may bring some of the human element into it. So it's something that we as a company do stay on top of. But we also know at the same time, the trump card at the end of the day is having that real relationship with a trustworthy agent who becomes not only an advisor and an expert, but a friend. And that is the most vital part of that transaction. And and the reason why the training you put together is revolving around that entire process, right? 
It is. It is. So our training is greatly in response to what our environment is in the industry. And what we saw was the I buy was being rejected for that reason. And if it's being rejected because people want human relationships, then we need to bolster our training on having positive, genuine, consistent human relationships. So absolutely, Bill, you're right. We did respond to that in that way. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a certainty and convenience. It's absolutely what you're paying for with an iBuyer. But uh-huh. it does come at a steep price. Anne-Marie, I've had you here for the half hour, I promise, and everybody's busy. So I want to make sure I respect your time. But I got to ask you the same question I've asked every guest on the podcast. And, and that is, if you could give one piece of advice to a new agent just getting rolling in the business, what would it be? I would strongly encourage new agents to find a brokerage that has a ton of support. I mean, every single agent can tell you that graduating from real estate school means that you know the law, but not actually how to practice it. And so in order to become an effective agent, I think that every agent needs to pick a brokerage that has a lot of training, that has a very responsive and engaged broker team that is there to answer questions, and that has a mentor program. Because having somebody stand by your side and show you the do's and don'ts, even if the, we always hear commission split, commission split, (laughs) even if that may not be as in favor to the agent as what they would like, you're paying for that security of education, knowing what you're doing, providing that highest level of service, being able to grow your business the right way so that you're sustainable over time. So that that's always my biggest piece of advice is to pick a brokerage that has a lot of support and a lot of training. And Marie, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Anybody is always welcome to reach out to me. It's Dr. Ward, D-R-W-A-R-D at bloomtreerealty.com. And alternatively, if you'd like a call, it's 928-460-2974. Thank you so much for your time today. I can't wait to see when you're called away on your next adventure. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, it'll be fun to watch. And and please say hi to Leslie and the gang for me at Bloom Tree. And I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Bill. I appreciate it.